be yourself. You know, sometimes I think, especially when I was younger, you sort of worry, am I doing the right things? Are people perceiving me in the right way? And in the end, being yourself, as I learned in New Zealand rugby, is the single most important thing that you can do. People know when you're yourself. I will welcome everyone to today's edition of the NZX Opening Bell podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Dame Therese Walsh from Air New Zealand, and we're going to be profiling some leading females in New Zealand in advance of International Women's Day, which is coming up in March. So, Therese, thank you, and, and uh, nice to meet you, and thanks for, thanks for being here. Kira, great to be here. So, you're currently the chair of Air New Zealand. A lot of things going on. You, you have an, an incredible background of um, amazing list of achievements, leadership, corporate sports, you name it. I just kind of thought we'd pull back and start. How did uh, how did it all start when you were a kid? I know you grew up in Wellington, but yep. is this something you saw yourself doing in terms of, hey, I want to be in business and, and be on boards and all that? Or did you kind of just get interested later? No. Um, so I grew up in a, a middle-class family in Wellington. My father fixed washing machines for a living and my mother was a primary school teacher. So I had never seen or touched the business world whatsoever, so had absolutely no concept of it. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a doctor, uh, but in fifth form, which I think is year 11 these days um, in terms of high school, I didn't do very well in science, and in particular when we had to dissect a mouse, I became very squeamish. Uh, my science te- teacher counseled me out of science in the next year, year 12, But I was doing very well in maths and English. And my older brother, who's 12 years older than me, uh, my eldest brother, he uh, became an accountant and was also good at maths. So it just naturally kind of evolved. Um, I basically followed my brother, I think, without much thought. Yeah, makes sense. And then you went to uni. I went to uni. How did your career start after that? Did you say, I'm I'm accounting now? Yeah, well, I mean, because I did an accounting degree, which again is following my my brother, um, uh, the, the accounting firms came around university and picked people up and as graduates. Um, I had, again, very little concept of what these firms did or what they were or what my career might, how it might unfold. So I joined one of them and I joined the one that sort of um, at the time sort of just had a really good cultural fit for me and that was KPMG and had a really great time there. Basically, we were there between about 20 and 20, 21 and 28, something like that. Had a couple of children along the way. Uh, so quite young. And then um, I was a manager at KPMG and I thought I would stay and become a partner because it was sort of just, you know, it was a linear career path that just went towards partners offices. But I went on a secondment to New Zealand Rugby Union. Um, I did a piece of work for them while I was at KPMG and then uh, their CFO left suddenly and they asked if I would fill in and then I just never left. Yeah. So that was my transition. It wasn't a well thought through plan. I just ended up there. And once I was there, I got involved in broader leadership responsibilities and, and in particular went on to working on the team that won the Rugby World Cup hosting rights for 2011, but those rights were won in 2005. So I worked on that tournament, then I headed up uh, the Cricket World Cup for New Zealand, um, which went through till 2015. And along the way, got to work with a, a lot of different people around the country, both in politics and business, local regions, tourism, stakeholder groups. And during that time, I started getting governance opportunities because I think it intersected with when uh, the business community woke up and went, oh, we don't have many women involved. So, you know, here I was, I was deemed a capable woman and, and that was happening. Right. So you talked about some of the people you work with in the sports side and on the uh, mm. business side. 
were there any mentors or people that really inspired you or kind of took you under their wing? Mm. And, uh, and how did that affect kind of your thoughts about what you wanted to do and pursue? Yeah, so I've, I've been blessed with lots of people that have sort of kept an eye on me and nudged me along the way or, or been very helpful or friendly. But there is one person that I always call out, and he was the chief executive at New Zealand Rugby when I was the chief financial officer and then moved on to other things. So we worked together for for many years, and he, his name is Chris Moller. So, so it was my first kind of in an environment that wasn't a, a chartered accounting firm, kind of relationship and a leadership team, reporting to someone, being the chief executive. And he was an outstanding leader um, and very different to me. So um, I studied him, really. And he was very invested in my development and gave me a lot of opportunities along the way. And you know, sent me on training courses. You know, he he just really was very invested. And and I was going to give you an example. When the tsunamis uh, tsunami hit Southeast Asia and there was a massive crisis, the All Blacks at the time formed a partnership with Save the Children. And as part of that relationship, uh, we had a board representative from New Zealand Rugby on the board. And so that was my first board position um, out of, outside the schools, that, you know, the kids' Uh, kindergarten yeah. <laughs> or school or whatever. So, you know, he, he he's the most influential or has been the most influential person on my career. Yeah, that's mm. that's very interesting. Now, what are the differences between that you found in sports in terms of uh, leadership styles, personalities, yeah. all those types of things versus what you had in business? And any big differences that, that you can talk about? Yeah, there were there were some significant differences. I mean, I think firstly, at the time I went and it's changed, it was male dominated. Yeah. Secondly, when you go, come from one of the big four charting, chartered accounting firms, you're just used to everyone being uh, have the same professional background. Everyone's kind of on the same page. In sport, you have people from all walks of life, and um, which makes it interesting. But but that's a little different. Uh, so the the professional approach I was used to wasn't always there all the time. There were, there were some strange nicknames I had to get used to, some of which I won't repeat in a live podcast. <laughs> so there was a whole bunch of things for a young woman of 28 to try and get used to when she'd been in a reasonably sheltered environment. I think the good thing about it, though, is that it's a stakeholder heavy environment. Like you were basically like a political party running New Zealand rugby. And so Every single person you went to a barbecue with or whatever wanted to talk to you about it. So it gave you a real depth of understanding and breadth of experience around that part of things. Did you have to think about different leadership styles? I guess if you're still under 30 and now you're dealing with this different mm. environment, mm. was the leadership style you had mm. there different than how you had it at, at KPMG? Yeah, it was. And, and so it was my first lesson in how being different to others and being an individual is actually an advantage and a strength and how it has to be embraced. So when I first arrived, I knew I was different. I wasn't a big rugby person. I was a professional, et cetera, and I, I appreciated that I was very different. People were very welcoming, just to be clear, and inclusive of me, but I created my own persona, which was really just me. It was my persona, and that is that I always wore a suit. I always kept quite objective, so I didn't get too emotive or, you know, it didn't worry me who had passed the ball forward the Saturday night at the test match or not. I was more interested in the business of rugby. And so I think as well, because I was young and I had older men who were reporting to me, it was important to me to kind of almost look older, feel older, be professional, 
wear a suit and pearls, you know, that type of thing. So that was how I was known. A lot of the All Blacks used to call me Mrs. Walsh. And so I sort of had that kind of almost a bit of a school, school principal persona, <laughs> I think. And I was in charge of the money, so everyone had to be nice to me. Yeah. I mean, it is incredible that that's quite a position for a woman coming in, you know, mm. younger in a male-dominated industry, especially rugby where it's so everyone's so passionate about it in New Zealand. Mm. So that probably mm. was an amazing experience. So then you've been on, we talked about you've been on a lot of boards, you've been a, mm. a chair a lot of times. I guess, what do you see as the main role being a chair of a board? Yeah. Um, well, it's sort of a, an extension of stakeholder management. I mean, I, I consider the chair of the board like a conductor of an orchestra. So, you know, if you think about the conductor of an orchestra, if the, if the kind of the flute section goes off and the string section on it, you know, it's going to be a horrible noise. And there are moments when things feel like that. I think chief executives are also conductors of orchestras, but it's a slightly different orchestra. The orchestra that the chair's trying to kind of navigate and make sure that everyone's playing in unison is, is the chief executive and the, the management team, the directors, the board, uh, your shareholders, other broader stakeholders. You sort of tend to have people at you about their opinions and views and you're trying to find that magical way through things. And so you just need everybody to be understanding everyone else's position and find that kind of middle ground. So there's a little bit of negotiator in it. There's a little bit of peacekeeper. There's a little bit of setting the tone and setting the way that you think should things should be done. And also just that you've really got to have alignment between boards and uh, management teams or else things just won't work well. Yeah, no, mm. very good answer. So speaking about Air New Zealand just a little bit, I mean, it's obviously been a pretty rough period going back to COVID and so many changes with travel and tourism. Uh, and that must have been pretty challenging. I'm sure you've talked about it a lot. Mm. But were there things you've learned or tried that failed or, you know, things that you've taken mm. from that experience that have kind of helped you mm. as, as the, the tides have shifted here? Mm. I think um, everyone that's been through COVID in New Zealand and probably everyone else everywhere else as well has learned some things along the way. I mean, I think I think uh, and I've done a few presentations to people about uh, what I thought worked well and what didn't during COVID um, in, in particular in my role as chair of the board. I think the first thing is that in a difficult time, you can't be invisible. You can't just, I mean, as chair of the board, it's entirely feasible that you could just turn up every so often, be in the boardroom, make some decisions and go away again. Uh, and I think that approach in a crisis is never going to work well. And while chairs of boards are often a little bit more back of house in, in a sense of having a profile, I think stepping forward and communicating with the broader staff, the broader team, your stakeholders is a really important role when things are difficult. I think also the confidence that people learn over the years, and I'm still learning um, and perfecting, but I've certainly had some good practice during COVID is just knowing that you just have to step through each day, each moment, making the best decisions you can in that moment, knowing they are probably imperfect, but the best that can be done at that time and knowing the sun will come up the next morning. That's that's kind of the key thing because things can get difficult. You do have to make difficult decisions, but you just have to know that if you can continue to apply judgments and make the best decision in that moment, that over time things will be okay. And I think that is incredibly important. And the last thing I'd just say is that from a risk management perspective, and the cyclones and floods have yeah. reinforced this for us, there, there is there, there is no 
crisis anymore. It, th- there are just things that happen yeah. over time. So we're sort of almost constantly having to evolve and manage through a crisis state. It feels like there will always be something. I think that's the way the world is heading. And so being really good at navigating those circumstances and being you know, match fit for them at all times is something I think we didn't grasp enough as boards of directors pre-pandemic. 100%, right? You probably hadn't thought of those things. And then now it's something that comes up daily and you've got to deal yep. with in your whole leadership style and things you have to worry about and think about has probably evolved, which is, mm-hmm. which is great. I mentioned a little bit on the, uh, one of the questions, just talk mm-hmm. what you've learned from some of the, the things that didn't go well through your career and how you've bounced back and been resilient and any, any lessons there. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, when you have a failure or something that doesn't go well earlier on in your career, you can be quite hard on yourself. You can be quite, you know, there's a bit of beating yourself up that, well, I, you know, I didn't do my best or that wasn't good enough or whatever. I think as, as time has moved on and, and actually going back to my mentor, Chris Moller, his favorite saying was worry is a, a useless emotion. Now, that's not to say I don't worry, but I certainly focus on trying to live by those words. I think the things that have helped me get through the difficult times in which I lean on when I feel things are getting difficult, so it's a learned behaviour, is to lean on your network, the people that you trust and count on. And I have this thing that I call who's in your photo. So, of course, we all have Fano friends, people that love us, that will support us no matter what. That's all well and good. But from a professional perspective, you do need a professional circle that you can rely on and and that you can trust. And they don't have to be people that work in your organisations. They can be ex-colleagues. They can be people you've created a relationship along along the way. You just need to trust them entirely to be able to have, you know, a kind of a conversation about how you're feeling about something and the challenge of something. So those things are incredibly important to me. And I think a couple of times, you know, when I was younger, I'd just try and struggle through. Yeah. And as people offered help, you realised how important that was. And now, for me, it's really important when I start feeling that way, I will reach out. Mm-hmm. I will create that reinforcement and just make sure that from my, you know, for my own mental health, for my own ability to keep operating, that I'm reinforcing myself with the right people and people who will offer you constructive criticism as well and say, actually, you weren't your best, but here's how you could evolve that. So I think that is something, especially with women, that I always encourage women to have a strong professional network that you can rely on for feedback and support. Going back to the Air New Zealand questions without the difficulties of COVID, what kind of excites you about the future, say the next five or 10 years? I got an email today, I think, for North American sales, which is very good. So what what is exciting that's going on that you're, you're looking forward to? Yeah, so there are some very exciting things, which unfortunately, given my tenure, I probably won't be the chair when some of these come to fruition, which is very sad. But Nonetheless, I'm very excited that we're setting the place up for for that future. So, you know, when I think about when I'm not chair of Air New Zealand any longer, I know that we'll be flying different types of aircraft. We'll be using more sustainable aviation fuel. And, you know, I, I you've seen some of the images in the media and it feels a bit like going back to the Jetsons cartoon when we were younger. Well, you guys probably aren't old enough. But anyway, you know, they're flying around in saucepans. Actually, there's there's this whole new wave of aircraft and technology coming, which is going to be really exciting and just change the way we travel. That's So, yeah. so that's, that's sort of number one thing. The number two thing, if I was going to pick it, would be that our aim, and we're investing behind the scenes, and you won't see all of the outcomes of that at the moment, to be 
you know, the leading digital airline in the world. And so those digital innovations and you know what it's like with digital stuff. You, you, you can spend a lot of money and time getting your core right, getting your core systems right. And when you do that, you can do all of the exciting things. So we're, we're sort of starting to see some of the outcomes of some of the core systems that we've been working with. And I think there's going to be some really exciting customer facing things that will set us aside as an airline in that space. Sounds amazing. So I'll do one more question, then we kind of go into this quick fire round that's kind yeah. of lightens it up and a little funny. But tell me about, I, I have seen you've done a lot of stuff with mentoring women, business leaders. How do you think things are going as women kind of progress in International Women's Month? And are you seeing the change you'd, you'd hope to see? And, and, and how are you helping where you can? Yeah, so I, firstly, I see a lot of change in the way women are progressing. I watch a number of female chief executives who know have another parent at home as the caregiver you you see women progressing through the ranks in every every single organization and every single sort of sector so that's incredible that is very different to when I started my career so that's brilliant progress the thing that troubles me is that with COVID and working for working from home I don't want to see women take a generational step back so with men, you know, the research shows that men are more likely to front in the office, women are more likely to work from home and then assume the bulk of the domestic responsibilities. I think it's brilliant that women can work from home and men can work from home and I think we need to nurture that, but we need to make sure it's an equal playing field and that is the challenge for everyone. I don't mind if people are working from home at all. I think I wish I'd had it when I was younger. I didn't have that ability. I had to front every day in a suit and leave my children somewhere. So the washing and the dish, dishwasher unloading all happened outside of working hours. So I think it's a brilliant advancement, but it does worry me in five to 10 years what the unintended consequences might be. And so we need to find creative ways to kind of deal with that. The role that I play personally is I like to encourage women onto boards that I chair. I like to encourage women generally. I'll often meet a woman for a coffee because she asked me to meet her to talk about her career. Nine times out of ten, um, especially if it's a favour to someone else and I don't know that woman, she will know exactly what she wants to do. She just wants somebody to tell her it's it's she she can and it's a good idea. So normally I just have some questions and I ask, and by the time you've guided to the end, that woman knows what she wants to do, and she already did before she had the coffee with you. I'm involved in an organisation called On Being Bold, which does a number of things, including we run an annual Bold Steps conference, we do Dreaming Big Hooies for young women leaving high school to try and inspire them and show them various career paths and particularly those women in lower socioeconomic areas to make sure that their eyes are open to the possibilities of the future. And we run some leadership dinners. Anyway, it's all about inspiring women to live fulfilling careers and fulfilling lives. So yeah, that's where I get involved. Yeah, great, great answers. It sounds like you're giving back a ton and it's very, uh, yeah, very cool. So I'll trace, thank you for the serious questions. We just got a few kind of silly questions. No, I mean, not that silly, but to lighten the mood, kind of a quick fire round, just some more lighthearted questions. What are, what's your favorite place to travel internationally? <laughs> I was just telling someone this before. So if I had one more trip left in my lifetime, it would be going back to the West Coast of the US. So that's where I've been on holiday the most in my life. I really enjoy being around those cities and 
yeah, I just have a lot of fun, a lot of good family memories there. Yeah, did you go to Southern California or Northern or even further north? And uh, Well, the last trip that I did went from San Fran down to LA, over to Las Vegas and back to LA. And it was fabulous and did pretty much everything you could possibly do in those cities, as well as drive down the Pacific Coast Highway. We just got through the Pacific Coast Highway before the floods hit. Oh, wow. So we had flooding in this country. There's also been flooding in the US. Yeah. Um, although I think the definition over there of strong winds is quite different to mine as a Wellingtonian. <laughs> <laughs> they were light winds, yeah, I not, thought. Yeah, not quite the same. Not quite the same. Um, <laughs> now, you mentioned once that you did have a, uh, a quote that you thought of, but any any other quotes that you kind of think of or get you through times or keep you positive that, that come to mind? I always go back to the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Yeah. You know, you know. All of us can have extremely bad days. Every single human being will have a day where they think, oh, this job is terrible. What's happened to me today is terrible. I didn't like what that person said. I didn't like what that person did. I found this thing hard when it was meant to be easy. I, you know, you have days where it just feels very, very hard. And it's so funny how the next day or two days later, you can have a really great day. And the more, <laughs> the older you get and the more that that happens, the more you trust that the bad day will turn into a good day. So for me, it's all about the sun coming up in the morning. Awesome. Yeah. Last question. Best piece of advice you've ever received? <sighs> I've received so much advice. Some, some voluntary, some not. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think it's just be yourself. You know, sometimes I think, especially when I was younger, you sort of worry, am I doing the right things? Are people perceiving me in the right way? And in the end, being yourself, as I learned in New Zealand rugby, is the single most important thing that you can do. People know when you're yourself. Yeah. So I just try and be me. Excellent. Therese, thank you very much. The information provided in this podcast is a guide and is intended for general information purposes only. The information is not investment advice. The information should not be relied upon as a substitute for detailed advice from a professional advisor. The podcast may contain opinions or forward-looking statements and actual results may vary from what is expressed in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the presenter or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of NZX. NZX Limited is not liable for any loss suffered through relying on the information in this podcast. NZX makes no warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information in this podcast. All intellectual property rights in the content of this podcast are owned or used under license by NZX and NZX's written consent is required to use, redistribute or reproduce the content or use it to create other works.